Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. As we um, are back in our series in the book of Luke, we entitled the series, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. When I sing that song that we just sang together, the, the nearest biblical story that comes to my mind is the story of the prodigal son. And, uh, and, but in reality, in that story, it's not, it's not really the son running to the father. It's the father running to the son who pictures our heavenly father and his love and his grace. But I sense his embrace in Christ, don't you today? And that's what we come and we celebrate, we worship him this morning. In Luke chapter 10, we started this story together last Sunday morning, the story of Jesus sending out the, the 70, having back in chapter 9, uh, having sent out the 12 uh, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, they, they, sent, they were sent to heal uh, sick bodies, proclaiming the gospel. But then we come to chapter 10. We saw last week Jesus sent out 70, which we said is an indication that there were disciples were being made and were being multiplied. And, and so now he's sending them out. And uh, he sent them out with the the commission to proclaim the gospel, to look for that son or person of peace, to proclaim the gospel. And uh, so uh, obviously God used them in a, in a powerful and a mighty way. And, and even though that was a special mission for them, we, we found together uh, from that passage application in our lives today under the great commission uh, that we are under to go and proclaim the gospel to all the world. The gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, when we come to this chapter, or this portion of the chapter, beginning with verse 17, we find them returning to report. When we, get over, when we read over in the book of Acts, we find uh, other disciples and the, the church coming back to report to the church uh, what God has done. And we see that here in uh, beginning in verse 17. So with, with that in mind, would you, uh, with your Bible open, would you stand with me if you're able, please? We're going to read our passage together, uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 24. The scripture says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to, trans, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son, who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, 
Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. From this passage today, I'll bring a message entitled, Reasons for Rejoicing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've had the opportunity already to rejoice in your presence and worship. And we thank you for the, the joy that is in our heart because of Christ, who is joy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are now indwelling us by your Spirit, and you have given us your joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the evidences of being your children. And even there in Ephesians and Colossians, we know that coming together uh, and being filled with the Spirit, that one of the evidences of that is being able to worship you in spirit and in truth and to sing to one another in the joy of the Lord. And so, Father, thank you that we've had that experience this morning already. We sense your presence. We thank you that you are here. And we pray that you'll continue to manifest your presence among us now as we've opened your word. We've read your word once again. And, Lord, we now come to look into your word and to seek to see what you're saying to us in this passage. Lord, we pray that we might rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord, that each of us, by the work of your spirit, by the anointing of your spirit, by the illumination of your spirit, would be able to receive the truths you have for us, obey the word of God, and Lord, experience your grace, your cleansing where needed, and your strengthening, Lord, and obedience, Lord, to what you tell us in this passage. Thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Thank you that you've commanded us to rejoice in the Lord always and that we can obey that command because, Lord, we have so much to rejoice about and we have even the indwelling spirit to enable us. So, Father, bless this time we have together. And, Lord, if there are those today who do not know that this joy of which we speak, I pray that you will speak to their hearts about their need for Christ. Or, Lord, if they are your child but they are not in right relationship with you or not in fellowship with you, I pray that as David prayed, you would restore to them the joy of their salvation. Be glorified this morning in changing our lives and conforming us further to the image, the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ who rejoiced here in the Spirit. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' great name. All God's people agreed and said, Amen. You may be seated. Which news brings real and lasting joy? Winning $5 million dollars in the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, I guess they still have that. Or, after sharing the gospel by the power of the Spirit of God, witnessing a person profess faith in Christ and be transformed from eternal death and darkness to eternal light and life. Well, if to be honest, most of us probably would say, well, I could use... Maybe I don't need five million, but just a little of that would be helpful. And most of us would probably find some happiness in, the, in that and being able to use that. And most would probably say, well, I'll be sure to give, Pastor, of course. But, but those, those we know and we read about and we know plenty of people who have plenty of money and they don't know the joy of the Lord. But the joy of the Lord obviously comes when a person is transformed by Christ and his gospel. Pastor Stephen Cole said, whatever makes us rejoice reveals our true values. And then he asked the question, do we get more excited about temporal blessings or eternal ones? I want to challenge you to think about that question today as we 
look in this passage. As we've read it today, we see these, these 70 now returning, these missionaries, or as we called them last week, rightly so, these ambassadors who are now returning, and they're returning with joy. Jesus has sent them out to, to preach the gospel, to heal the, the sick, and, and they returned with overflowing joy. But they, they are going to give a report of something even unexpected as they come back. We'll see that in a moment. Something that they were not even expecting. And the bulk of this passage uh, is, again, related to this response of Jesus to their joyful report. But this is the only text in Scripture. We see Jesus rejoicing on more than one occasion. But in this passage, we're told that Jesus rejoiced greatly. It's the only time in Scripture. So, you know, if you, if you always think of Jesus as a, as a somber Lord, then don't think of him in that way. There is no joy apart from Christ. He is the source of our joy. And if he is the source of our joy, then he is the one who knows what true joy is. Amen? So I want you to look with me at this passage this morning, the, uh, this passage again whose theme is joy, and I want you to see with me four reasons for rejoicing. Four reasons for rejoicing. The first one I want you to see is rejoice in Jesus because of your authority over the enemy. Rejoice in Jesus because of your authority over the enemy. Now again, uh, as we saw here in verses 17 and 19, um, these ambassadors' uh, joy, we see, was why? Because they said, listen, Lord, hey, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus had sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick. He didn't tell them to cast out demons. He didn't really even tell them that these demons would be subject to them, that they would submit to them in the name of Jesus. So they came back and wow, they said, wow, this was an unexpected blessing. We didn't even know we were going to have this experience along the way. It was an unexpected blessing. You know, demons, by the way, folks, are real, okay? You'll hear, the, you'll hear something different from that, from the world, and, uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear that it's uh, somebody's idea, or maybe some will uh, attribute it to mental illness or something of that effect, and there is mental illness. Uh, but uh, but uh, demons are real. Revelation 12.4 indicates that when Lucifer, now known as Satan or the devil, rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven, that one-third of his fellow angels also rebelled and were cast out. And they make up fallen angels that we now know as demons. Well, how did Jesus respond to their, their overflowing joy about the demons being subject to their name? Well, in verse 18, Jesus responded uh, here, and we'll read it again. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, many, and perhaps most, in the most traditional uh, uh, interpretation of this passage, of course, is that Jesus is referring to, and we read it in Isaiah and I believe Ezekiel as well, that when Satan, Lucifer, uh, the angel of light, was cast from heaven, that, that uh, Jesus is describing what he saw when Satan fell. And, and by the way, that, that, is, that, that reminds us that Jesus didn't begin at uh, Bethlehem. He didn't begin even that moment he was, uh, he was planted in Mary's womb. No, Jesus has always been. Scripture is very clear. Jesus is God. That means he never had a beginning. He's always been. He is God, fully God. So he was there when Satan was, Lucifer was cast out of 
heaven. Certainly, and all those other demons who fell with him, those fallen angels. Uh, on the other hand, uh, John, uh, the, the imper- this is an imperfect verb here in the, the word that speaks of his fall. Uh, the, the New American Standard, some of you may have the New American Standard translation, which is a good translation. It literally says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I was watching. John MacArthur believes that he's describing a continual process here rather than a, continu- rather than a single event. And, and he believes that, that what is happening here is that Jesus is indicating them that he was observing when they, were, uh, when, when they, the 70, were out proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel, and that every time a person responded to the gospel, repenting and placing their faith in Christ, like a flash of lightning, Satan's kingdom was being destroyed. Well, dear friend, it is true that every time, Scripture says in Jude that every time we uh, proclaim the gospel, it may be over a period of time that we proclaim the gospel, and finally when a person repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ, surrendering to Jesus as Lord, uh, the Bible says that we are pulling them out of the fire. What, there's no greater way to assault Satan's kingdom than proclaiming the gospel and having the joy of seeing someone come to faith in Christ. And so you can see why Satan fights, why he hates the gospel, why he hates it and wants us, as, even as God's people, he's not too upset about the fact that we, are, uh, we would meet together or that we would have various programs. Uh, he is uh, most disturbed when the gospel is being proclaimed here or outside the walls, uh, in our community, in our homes, uh, in our workplaces, in our schools. And when people hear the gospel and under hearing the gospel by the work of the Spirit of God, turn from their sin, place their faith in Christ, surrendering Him as Lord. And, and again, one is snatched, as Jude says, out of the fire. So no wonder he fights biblical evangelism and discipleship and even wants us to get sidetracked and, and doing other things other than that which God has called us to do. Verse 19, what does Jesus assure his disciples? He assures them there in Luke 10, 19, he assures them. He says, I give you authority to trample serpents and scorpions over the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus is assuring them that he's given them authority. You see, Jesus has been given all authority. We preached about this in our series on membership matters. Jesus has given uh, he's given us his authority to go and, and make disciples. He's given us that authority. And so he's, call, he's saying here that these, these serpents and scorpions, which are used in Scripture as metaphors for Satan and his demons, uh, that he's given us authority over them. And again, that, that promise is repeated over and over throughout Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 7, James wrote, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, Paul was inspired to write, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So the idea and the concept in the minds of people that we are to fear the devil? No. That we are to run from the devil? Well, we are to run from that temptation. But the Bible says we are to resist him. God has given us in Ephesians 6 the whole armor of God that we are to appropriate, which is the Lord Jesus Christ in his fullness and the power of his spirit. We are to appropriate him. And therefore, we, he says we are to watch him flee. 
We are to stand firm, Scripture says, there in Ephesians 6. And so, no, we are not to be intimidated by the work of the enemy. And God has promised us authority over him. And especially, dear friends, in the context here, as we go to proclaim the gospel and as we seek to be obedient to the Great Commission to make disciples, we have his authority. And again, that ties right back to the Great Commission authority that Jesus said, all authority is given unto me. In heaven and on earth, go therefore. I read this morning in my quiet time in, in Ephesians, excuse me, Acts chapter 5, 40 to 42. We read in Scripture there, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the, for the name, the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, this is not a contradiction. There is no contradiction in Scripture. This is not a, a contradiction to what Jesus said about, uh, uh, to us here and, and, and the fact that the enemy uh, would not, shall not by any means hurt you. There's no contradiction. You see, the devil and his demons can't hurt us unless God allows them to. Uh, we see the early church thrived under persecution. They did not fear the enemy. They went forth in his name, and they knew he was sovereign and in control of all of those things. So, you know, in Scripture, Satan had to get God's permission to inflict suffering on Job. Jesus still has all authority, and he's given us authority to his church to go into all the world with the gospel and to make disciples. The devil will seek to hinder us, he will seek to get us sidetracked. He will try to bring uh, fear into our hearts. And if we allow sin in our lives and we are intimidated by him, he can defeat us, but, but we don't have to be defeated. God's made it possible. Jesus has defeated Satan at the cross and at the empty tomb. And therefore, we must walk in his victory and we must do battle in his victory. Again, dear friend, recognize today and rejoice that Jesus, uh, rejoice in Jesus because of your authority over the enemy. But second, we see in this passage, we can rejoice in Jesus because of your eternity in heaven. Because of your eternity in heaven. And verse 20, Jesus uh, gives indication to us that while authority over the enemy is great, uh, that is not the primary reason to rejoice. He says to us there, looking in, in, in Luke 10, 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The word written in heaven here literally means to enroll as a citizen. Philippians chapter 3, I think verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and again, when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and surrender to Him, you were enrolled right that moment as a citizen in heaven. Amen? And you know, here's some more good news, folks. The, the verb tense here is the perfect tense verb the, 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 for, for the word written. Literally, it means stands written. Stands written. That means, dear friend, that when God writes your name there, that your name is written, that they are never erased. And he made a promise to the saints of the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, 5. He said, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his 
angels. Amen. Membership, as we said in the local church, does matter. We preached that over the whole summer. It does matter. But I want to say, friend, listen, first be sure your name is in the book of life. First, be sure you've been born again. You've repented of your sin. You've placed your faith in Christ as your Lord, and your name is in the book of life, therefore. Revelation 20, 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Only those who've repented of sin, trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, have surrendered to him as Lord can have that assurance that their names are written in the book of life. John wrote about heaven in Revelation 21, 27. He said, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So dear friend, we can rejoice today because of our our eternal life in heaven because of our eternal security. It doesn't begin the moment we get to heaven. It begins the moment we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. And you know, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's why we don't have to fear, why we don't have to worry. That's why we can have the joy of the Lord in serving him. We can get our mind off uh, our, our, our earthly possessions and experiences and things. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Are you rejoicing today in your eternal security in Christ and that your names are written in heaven? Do you have that assurance today? Do you have that joy? Or does the uncertainty of your eternity cause you great fear. It ought to, friend, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, because the Word of God is true. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, I am so sure of my salvation that I could grab on a corn stalk and swing out over the fires of hell, look into the face of the devil and sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Do you have that assurance today, dear friend? You can if you are in Christ. You can today if you are in Christ. And Jesus said, this is what you should be rejoicing over. You know, again, it's it's great. It's a wonderful thing to be used of God to share the gospel. It's wonderful to be able to serve the Lord and know the joy of the Lord of serving Christ and sharing the gospel. And as wonderful as that is, and as wonderful as the victory he's given over, over the enemy on this side of heaven The real joy is knowing we're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's what Ephesians says. Amen? Rejoice because of your eternity in heaven. Thirdly, rejoice with Jesus because of God's sovereignty in salvation. Look at verses 21 and 22. Because of God's sovereignty in salvation. Again, in verse 21, it says there, and I'm going to read this to you again because it says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced, in the Spirit. And, and again here, this, uh, this phrase really is again expressing the, the joy of the Lord Jesus literally as he rejoiced greatly. And, and, and really the translation is not strong enough there. It's the idea that again, he overflowed with joy. So, uh, also translated exalted. He overflowed with joy. So Jesus was thrilled and he expressed this Joy in praise. And that's why, again, what is worship? 
Worship is expressing the joy of our heart. You see, folks, the reason some folks, uh, for you, worship is dull is because you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You can't enjoy worship because, again, a great way to remember an acrostic for joy is Jesus overflowing in you. Jesus overflowing in you. That's what joy is. Uh, And and, uh, as the song says, joy is the flag flown high in the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. So if Jesus is in you and and you've surrendered to his lordship and you're filled with the spirit of God, joy is going to be the expression of that. And that's why worship is so wonderful for the child of God and why we want to worship together with the Lord. We enjoy the joy of one another in the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus worshiped and he he expressed his joy. Now, let me say, you know, uh, the Lord Jesus had to be the most joyful human being who ever lived. The most joyful human being who ever lived. Why, why do you say that? Well, because he didn't know sin. He knew no sin. You see, what hinders our joy most of all is sin. Would you agree? I mean, when we sin, we're, the joy's robbed, right? We, we're the, we can't experience the joy of the Lord if there's, when there's unconfessed sin. When we yield to our flesh, we are, we're not knowing. Our, our joy is at least temporarily interrupted there until we repent and, and, and are cleansed. And whether it's a relationship issue or, or a thought issue or, or an action or, a, or a, a sin of omission, something we don't do that God has commanded us to do. Jesus never knew that. So he knew perfect Joy continuously. And at the same time, we're told in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, how can he be both full of joy and yet be a man who was acquainted with grief? And again, a man of sorrows. Because ultimately, friend, most of all, because of what he did on the cross for us. He went to the cross for us, and the one the Bible says who knew no sin became sin. All of our sin poured out on him, and and all of God's holy anger and wrath against sin poured out on him. So on one hand, that he knew the greatest joy of of any human being that any human had ever experienced because he was fully man without sin, but also fully God. And therefore on the cross, he became sin for us. So he also knew the greatest sorrow ever experienced by man and God. Jesus did that for us. But notice again, the, Lord, the Bible says here, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. He rejoiced in the Spirit. You see, again, the Holy Spirit is the source of our joy. We're filled with the same Holy Spirit. Jesus, fully God, fully man, was filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. So we can experience the same joy that Jesus did. Think about that for a minute. The same joy that the Lord Jesus experienced now in Christ, we too can experience that kind of joy. And joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. So Jesus again expressed this joy in this this prayer of praise. He praised the Father. What did he praise him for here again? Notice he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and reveal them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. He, he's praising the Father for revealing 
Christ revealing himself, his salvation, and, and all the glorious truth that he said, not to, the, not to those, you've hidden them, he said here, from, from the, the wise, from the prudent or the intellectual, uh, and you've revealed them to babes. What is Jesus saying? He is, he's not saying that, that uh, those who may be humanly wise can't ever experience that, but he's saying it's not by human intellect. It is not by human wisdom that we receive the truths of God. You know, we have a, there are a lot of smart folks in this world, and there are some of us that wouldn't fit into that category, right? And so he's saying, I, I thank you, Lord, that you didn't, you didn't say that a person had to have great intellect, and, and it isn't through human wisdom that a person perceives these wonderful truths of who I am and what I came to accomplish in the truths of the gospel. They don't come through human intellect. It is not through this through human wisdom of the world. But he said, you've chosen to reveal them uh, to babes, to infants. And, and again, obviously he was speaking of his disciples there, but the 70, and praise God, he's including us in that. Aren't you glad? Scripture uh, tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, for consider your calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame or confound the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And praise God, God in his grace and in his wisdom, and the Lord Jesus is rejoicing in that, that it is not through human, through human intellect. Now, it's a good thing here. He didn't say not, not any. He just, Paul just said not many. And I'm, I'm grateful there, there are some that God has, uh, by his grace, ha, has, uh, has revealed the gospel. And there are those, Paul would have been among those who would have been considered a brilliant mind. And we have many great minds today who have come to understand that it is not through their smarts, through their human intellect, that they understand the gospel or the things of God. It is by the work of God's Spirit. And so Jesus rejoiced greatly in that, and we should greatly rejoice in that truth as, as well. That again, the truth of salvation are co not comprehended by our intellect or wisdom, but revealed by the Spirit of God. You see, the, the, the bright minds of that day, many of them were rabbis among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but you know what? They rejected the gospel. Most of them rejected the gospel. That's why when we get over in the book of Acts and we start reading about those many uh, priests who came to faith in Christ, that was good news. They were beginning, beginning to recognize some of them that, again, that, it was, uh, that the gospel was not, and the word of God and the truths of God were not understood by human intellect, but by the work of the Spirit of God. So most of Jesus' followers were simple fishermen, tax collectors, and the like. And, uh, and that's why when you get over to the book of Acts, uh, the, the people marvel when they saw these men who were untrained and, and uneducated. They hadn't been to seminary. And, uh, and yet, uh, they, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And by the work of the grace of God and the revelation of God, they'd come to understand. And so, dear friend, the Lord Jesus, as he goes on in verse 22, and by the way, Jesus says there in verse 21 that even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. It brought you glory and it brought uh, the Father, it was God's gracious goodwill and it brought him pleasure to reveal Christ. And it does that to us as well, for, for him to do that in our lives as well. And then verse 22 all things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You know, people in their pride always want to take credit 
for accomplishment, including the knowledge of God. They think that by their, their intellect or by their, uh, their study, maybe they have come to, or by their accomplishment, by their works, they have somehow uh, earned God's favor. But no, dear friend, salvation is all of grace, and revealing Christ to us is a work of God's grace. And, and again, it affirms God's sovereignty, and Jesus affirms God's sovereignty and salvation. We can take no credit for our salvation. We cannot be saved apart from His gracious revelation of Himself to us. Yes, we respond. We respond in repentance and faith and surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. But even that work, God initiates in our hearts to draw us and bring us, as Scripture teaches us, to right relationship. And then there's the good news. Jesus spoke in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Stephen Cole said it should bring great joy to us for the, na- for the same reasons it brought great joy to Jesus. Why? For, in, for God's sovereignty and salvation because it glorifies the Father. It defeats the power of Satan. It humbles the proud sinner. And it promotes holiness in us as God's children. So rejoice with Jesus. Jesus rejoiced greatly over this fact. But then number four and finally, rejoice with Jesus because of God's mercy in Revelation. Again, notice verse uh, 23. Then, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, or to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Now, again, this, uh, for this reason, for rejoicing, Jesus turned, may have been at, an, at another time, but he was just had his private audience with his disciples, maybe the 12, but it could have included the 70, or others who'd become disciples and followers, Christ followers. And so he, uh, he gives to them what is sometimes referred to as a, uh, a beatitude. Why? Because it begins there with those words like the beatitudes, blessed, to be congratulated. And so he is rejoicing with them for what God has done, God's mercy in revealing himself to them. He said, notice again, he says in verse 23, the, the blessed are the eyes which see the things which you see. What, what things are, is he referring to? Again, these great truths concerning himself, concerning Christ, God, fully God, the incarnation of God, fully, the one who is fully God becoming fully human, fully man. Uh, the, his death for us, the cross, his resurrection, again, his now indwelling in us, by His Spirit, and all the other wonderful blessings, all the fulfillment of prophecies, and of course His redemption, His promises, the covenants, uh, all the things. As this morning in our, our class in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Gospel in the Old Testament, just blessed my heart as I thought about what we, heard, what we studied about this morning there in the book of Leviticus, all those things in the book of Leviticus, and all the things that God was doing there uh, through the various uh, sacrifices and, 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 and various ceremonies 
things, all of which were to point ultimately to Christ, to recognize God's holiness. They could not enter into the presence of God. They could not uh, know, uh, they could not experience that, and and they couldn't come close to God uh, in the way that we can today. And all of that, uh, the the Bible says here that the, the prophets look forward to. You imagine as Moses was used of God to set up the tabernacle and, and the law was revealed through him and all the various, again, ceremonies and, and sacrifices that God made possible for the people to seek to draw near as God de- de- commanded them to be holy as he was holy. Think about Moses and then again, think about Joshua as they anticipate and look forward to Christ. And think about all the various prophets. Think about Isaiah and and Jeremiah. Think about King David and and other godly kings who anticipated the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They long for these things. They long for the coming of their Messiah. And yet Jesus said they, they never got to see this. They never got to hear this. So blessed are you. Dear friend, do you realize how blessed we, are, blessed we are today to be on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, and be able to experience these things? Blessed are these things for, for God's mercy upon us and, and that we now live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb. And we're able to experience what these prophets and priests and kings anticipated we now are experiencing. What a blessing. We should rejoice with Jesus because of God's mercy uh, revealing these things to us in Christ. And even on a personal level, as we said last Sunday, there's so many billions of people who've yet to hear the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is today. Do you recognize what a blessing today, how you should be rejoicing that you've had the privilege of hearing the gospel when so many yet have not heard the gospel. That is why we are responsible for not only hearing it, but taking it to our neighbor, to our family member, uh, to our co-worker, to our classmate, uh, to, the, to the city, uh, and, and ultimately to the nation, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. Because we have been privileged to hear this gospel. We are now stewards of it, and we have the responsibility to take the gospel. That's a reason today for rejoicing. Are you rejoicing today? for God's mercy in revealing His grace and His truth to you, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Are you rejoicing today? Are you truly rejoicing? Jesus, dear friend, is the only true source of joy. You'll find happiness in things and pleasures, but you'll not find true joy, lasting joy, eternal joy outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Bob Deffenbaugh suggests three reasons why professing Christians may lack joy. First of all, because a person person may lack joy because they have not experienced the salvation of which produces joy. Some lack joy today because they have not experienced the salvation in Christ, which produces joy. He cites John Piper in his book entitled uh, Delighting in God, who says that the presence or absence of joy is a better test of one's salvation than a mere profession. Piper says that one, does not re- one who does not really delight in God, in His presence, in His Word, in the worship of Him, 
that one should really question the validity of their profession of faith. Could that be the reason today you're lacking joy? On the other hand, a lack of joy in the life of a true believer may be the result of unconfessed sin in their lives. David was certainly a true believer, but because of his sin, when he finally repented, perhaps after a year after his deep sin, in Psalm 51, 12, David prayed that God would restore him to the joy of his salvation. If you're a child of God today and you're not experiencing joy, if you're not rejoicing in the Lord today and it's because of unconfessed sin, Scripture says that it is through repentance, repentance and, and confession of your sin, genuine repentance and brokenness over your sin, that you can experience the restoring of your joy. And if your joy has been stolen by sin today, friend, I want to commend to you and encourage you. Come to Him confessing your sin and repenting over your sin. Thirdly, he says a lack of joy in a Christian's life may be the result of a wrong focus. A wrong focus. When the focal point of our desires is not God, I would say not Christ alone. If you're focusing on anything, even, even uh, some of the benefits like these, like these disciples were, they were focusing on what? That the demons were subject to their name. They weren't fully focusing there at that point on Christ. Then folks, if, you're, if your focus is on something else other than Christ, then the joy of your salvation is going to diminish. He says that Jesus' teaching on the, in the Sermon on the Mount could be summed up where our treasure is, our pleasure is. Where our treasure is, our pleasure is. Are you treasuring Christ today? Are you treasuring Christ above all things? Where your treasure is, friend, your pleasure will be, and you'll know the joy of the Lord. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.